things that go bump in the night, disembodied voices, strange apparitions, unexplained noises, the feeling that you're being watched. Many of us throughout our life have had these sorts of experiences. Can these eerie moments be explained? Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something supernatural. Maybe it's ghosts. For 13 seasons, Ghost Hunters has been on A&E, and the team has traveled throughout the country investigating haunted places. And coming up on this week's episode to air Wednesday night, 8 p.m., the Ghost Hunters will be in Cape Girardeau to investigate the Glen House. Christy Mershon is the president of the Historical Association of Greater Cape Girardeau, which governs the Glen House. Mershon reached out to the TV show last year and asked for help because, in her words, visitors were being touched. They were hearing footsteps and children giggling. All right, so for those that may be unfamiliar with the Glen House, let's back up just a little bit, and could you give us like a brief history of the Glen House and what it means to this community? Sure. The house itself was built in the late 1880s um, by a prominent local architect by the name of Edwin Branch Dean. He had a daughter that um, was getting married to a man named David Glenn. This house was built as her dowry gift. The original house was much more simple than the house that you kind of see today. But when you stand in that front yard and look up, you can see that original footprint. All of the very Victoriana, the gables and the porches, all of those things were added uh, in an addition around 1900. But the house has operated as a historical museum since the 1970s. The Earlbacher family realized that the house was falling into disrepair and was about to be lost. So they purchased the property and donated it. Uh, and a group of local citizens decided that they would take on, on their own, the restoration. And it's been an entirely community and volunteer-led effort since that time in the 1970s to both restore, maintain, and in cases, re-restore the house so that that important piece of history, kind of a snapshot of the 1880s, would remain in our community. And how long have you personally been a part of the Glen House? To be honest, it it seems like forever. I I really can't remember. I um, I was involved some as a student because I have a minor in historic preservation, uh, and then I believe that I came back on my first board term maybe ten years or so ago, working with um, social media and marketing for the house. Mm-hmm. And so obviously that these uh, these stories of ghost hauntings didn't really happen overnight. So, so what are some like your, your beginning, your initial experiences with a house where you thought, huh, maybe something supernatural is going on here? Well, you know, it's, it's funny because all the way back to those student experiences, there were sort of whispers, right? And back then, uh, it, it's always been the folks who were involved with the Glen House were like school superintendents and librarians and bankers, very solid members of our community. But there would be whispers about, you know, so-and-so uh, didn't really like to be alone in the house and wouldn't give a tour if they were by themselves. And, you know, all the way up until about five or six years ago, honestly, I just thought that they were stories. Um, I knew that the people who told them very much believed that they had had experiences, but I sort of scoffed at them um, until I started having some of my own experiences and then it became 
a, a little more clear to me what some of those folks meant because they would sort of whisper and say, you know, there has to be a logical explanation, but this happened and the house just makes me uncomfortable. And when you're, you know, a 20-year-old student or a 30-year-old young professional, um, you, you just sort of think that that's funny. But then when you're alone in the house and the door slams and you go to look for the door and there's no door that's closed, it begins to take on a different feeling. So what was that moment, that experience five or six years ago where you went from, uh, they're just stories to, huh, this could be something real? I had had those door slamming moments, right, those, those times, because very often in those first few years when I was on the board, um, I lived close to the house. And so if there was a day when someone couldn't go in, and make a tour uh, and people were coming, I would be the one that would go and I'd be by myself. And there were odd occurrences, but I could always find an explanation. Um, the time that got me, so in my job with continuing education um, at Southeast Missouri State University, we do uh, some haunted history tours in Halloween, around Halloween, and we also do a ghost hunting class every once in a while. That in and of itself is a whole other story, where we bring in folks from paranormal teams around the region, uh, St. Louis or Memphis or Arkansas, to teach other people what they do ghost hunting. And we um, typically with those, we do a Friday night lecture and a Saturday night class. Um, this particular year, um, in the class portion, I usually have to find multiple locations because I need to be able to bring small groups into locations that are said to be haunted so they can investigate. And so I had a group of about 10 people coming um, to the Glen House to do their own investigation. And I walked through with the ghost hunters who had come from out of town uh, to show them where all of the plug-ins and they were looking for like lines of sight. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of sort of um, measurement taking and photographing and, and things that go into some of these ghost hunts. So they're setting baselines if it was a scientific process to show where everything was and what all the readings were before the ghost hunt. Um, and so that takes some time. We left and came back, and the house kind of went crazy. Um, doors that had been open when we left were shut. I sort of explained that away. I had a number of reasons that that could have happened. Um, but the most significant thing, we got up to the children's room, um, and when I opened the door to the children's room because it was shut, the bell system went haywire. Uh, and it took um, about 45 minutes to get the bells to quit ringing. And during that time, we even switched the breaker off. So the power was off to the house, but yet the bell system was still ringing. Um, so that night got under my skin just because I realized that the explanations that I was making for the strange things that were happening were much more unrealistic than just saying the house was haunted. You know, I was trying to say, maybe a train went by and it vibrated the doors closed. Uh, you know, just really some outlandish things to try to make sure I could keep my world rational. Um, and then I realized that maybe there are things that aren't, that do defy rational explanation. And maybe I was starting to experience what some of those other volunteers had experienced. Mm -hmm. It was a bit of a humbling experience. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you're having all these, uh, you're hearing all these stories over the years. You're having experiences yourself. So was there one moment that prompted you to 
you know, reach out. Did you reach out to Ghost Hunters? Because we saw the the promo for the for next week's show, um, and it looks like you're you're reaching out to them via a video. Is that how it happened, or how did that happen? That is how the show um, works. So you uh, you know, everyone that you see that goes on the Ghost Hunter show that's on A and E has made some sort of a reach out. So um, we reached out. We were having um, what I would say more of an escalation of volunteers who are having experiences. Um, And some of them will probably be talked about in the show, but just things like um, I had two volunteers one day, actually two board members, um, who were giving tours, and the house was empty, and they were standing waiting for the next people to come in. Um, and just the two of them, and out of nowhere, one of them got hit by a piece of change, uh, a coin, and that coin ended up having a date on it. Gosh, I can't remember now. It was either like the late 1800s or the very early 1900s, and you know, we, they couldn't find an explanation. Simple things like that, but happening frequently enough that they were beginning to make people uneasy. Um, and people were starting to have questions about, um, you know, what was really going on. And so I did make that reach out. We discussed it as a board prior to moving forward with the show. Um, and and that's a, that's a heavy decision for a, a board, a, a serious, you know, historical board or site we certainly aren't trying to become the neighborhood haunted house. We're not a haunted attraction. That is not what the Glen House is. But these experiences were becoming prevalent enough that we wanted some explanations. And, you know, if that's a part of the story of the house, we also wanted to embrace it. So, mm-hmm. And so when did they, when did the Ghost Hunters team actually get to Cape Girardeau to start their investigation? They were in the in the house for a week in September, mm-hmm. so it was mid-September. It was about 100 degrees, I think, almost every day and night that they were here. Um, we had one of those weeks where all week we were supposed to have a thunderstorm. You know how it gets so humid and the air kind of crackles, and we didn't have that storm till about Thursday of that week, which also had a, a bit of an impact, I think, on some of the things that happened in the house. Um, but it was just oppressively hot. So if you watch the episode and everyone looks a little bit shiny, it's because it was an uncomfortable week to be filming here in, in Southeast mm-hmm. Missouri. And what, what was, was the team like really professional in their job? I was incredibly impressed with the links that they went to to find rational explanations uh, for the things that they saw. Now, just like you guys, I have seen pieces of this episode, but I've not seen the final cut. So I really, I will be experiencing it along with everyone else for the first time on mm-hmm. the 20th when it airs, um, when it premieres. But it, there were several things, um, like the bell system. They had an electrician come in. They really did an awful lot of due diligence. Um, I didn't get a feeling from anyone who was in that production team that their goal was to hype up anything or to create or to manufacture anything that wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, a lot of it was because, you know, as the person who very often, we have a lot of issues with our alarm system and it likes to go off in the middle of the night, right? So mm-hmm. there's nothing more joyful than being woke up at like three o'clock in the morning with a alarm call and I have to go and do a walkthrough um, in a house that has this haunted reputation. So a lot of 
what they spent their time doing was really sort of trying to help me find some peace with the house and what could be going on or to help find rational explanation so that the next time things happen, I would know just to not mm-hmm. be afraid of my own shadow, I mm-hmm. think. But obviously, you don't know what the entirety of the show looks like. But when we watch these ghost hunting shows, they do come back to whoever, you know, reached out to them and say, you know, give an exclamation or this is what we found and things like that. Can you reveal what they found or is that like under wraps until showtime? It's under wraps until showtime, but I will tell you that they, from the very first night that they were at the house, um, because one of the fears that you have realistically, right, is you call someone and they come in and basically there's, there's just nothing, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it, everyone has made it up and there's nothing to find. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that very first night, they started to have some interesting things happen and, you know, you hold your breath a little bit because part of you doesn't want that to happen. Um, very much all of us were like, hopefully they find nothing or they're able to tell us that this is definitively why these things are happening. Um, That wasn't what happened. So, you know, there are some things that they caught that we really don't have an explanation for. And look, I've been very impressed. Um, What you see of, of them on TV, you never know, you know, is that reality. Um, Grant is very big. Like he gives out his personal email. He also followed up, um, put me in contact with some other individuals who are in positions like mine at historical sites that have dealt with similar things. Um, because a lot of the time I think I've just absolutely lost my mind and I just need an ally or someone who understands or just advice or tips, even about how to navigate a show like this and not turning into a a haunted attraction, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So he has um, stayed in touch, and they do follow up, um, and we um, keep a journal now, and so we get periodic check-ins from the team just to make sure everything is okay, uh, make sure that the advice that they gave in the final, if you've watched the show and the, you know, when they unveil what they found, they give some advice. Um, and actually what you see is a shortened version because I think we spent about two hours with that, like to sort of tips, techniques, thoughts, uh, people that we could reach out to. Um, and so all of that comes with follow up. So it is cool to me that it, it goes beyond just the TV show. Mm-hmm. So Obviously, what you hope to accomplish with this, with the show coming in, is to find some sort of exclamations, explanations, if there are some. Um, but what about, I guess, heightening the awareness of the Glen House? Is that something you hope to accomplish with the show? I mean, absolutely. So, again, you know, our board is very um, diverse in both beliefs and age and thought about the preservation of historic spaces, right? And so to enter into the territory where we publicly say that many of us believe that the, the Glen House is haunted, that's a, that's a really tough decision, right? But a part of the movement of historic preservation, the direction that it's going in, we, we who really value public history and value historical sites have really been struggling because the, the social, um, love of history in terms of within our communities, those being popular causes to donate to the preservation of sites, that's really been on the decline. People are are very focused. I mean, look around today. We're in the middle of a pandemic and every charity out there is 
needs money and needs help and needs assistance. So how do you make a decision between donating to a food pantry or donating to a historic site? And part of what we realized was that we were going to have to try and do more to reach people in where they were and with what they were interested in. So while a lot of younger folks didn't want necessarily to come in and hear a lot about the furnishings, although we have some really cool furnishings, or um, some of the historical traditions, they were very interested in things like ghost stories. Um, And ghost stories are really just stories of the people who've lived in the house in certain ways, right? Mm -hmm. And you can actually communicate a lot of history. You can talk about architecture. We know that some of the ghost stories, uh, one of the big stories about the Glen House is cold breezes on the staircases, right? And so that's a perfect opportunity for me to talk to someone like you about um, how those houses were built to capture and magnify breezes to keep the houses cool, right? So when you're on that staircase and you feel air movement, that just means that Edwin Branch Dean was a really good architect, right? <laughs> um, and, and that gives me a way that's more interesting to people to have those conversations. So we do want to raise awareness. Um, and for every story like that that I have an explanation for, especially over the last few years, I have one that I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we're going to try to be balanced in how we move forward with this, but I hope that a whole lot of new people find the Glen House. Maybe they come to us because they're intrigued by the ghost stories, but there's a lot more to see once you're there. Um, and we need a lot more interest from our community if we're going to make the house last for another 30 years. Can you give us like the location of the Glen House and, uh, ways to contact if people are interested? Sure. So, you know, this pandemic has really made things interesting because um, we would currently be open in any other um, in any other year. Um, But this year we have not opened for tours yet. Um, We're going to start opening in June by appointment only. Uh, But you can find the house at 325 South Spanish Street in Cape Girardeau. It's right by the old bridge um, that went across to Illinois, the Emerson Bridge uh, Park or right by the Southeast Missouri State University River Campus. So our location is very, very convenient to downtown. Um, You can always reach out um, to our website. Our website, we're trying to keep updated. Of course, information is evolving daily um, about protocols for opening museums and and things of that nature. And so if you search the Glen House online, um, we're pretty easy to find. So www... um, Glen House, I hope I said that right, I say that, and then I have to double-check my own website, <laughs> www.glenhouse.org is our, is our website. Um, Facebook and social media, uh, we're very up-to-date there, so the most current information will always be on our social media site, uh, and our social media is under the Glen House, a historic treasure in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, but if you search the Glen House, there's two that pop up, and we are a historic treasure in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. So um, reach out any of those w- directions, and you'll you'll find more information. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to add, Christy, before we uh, say goodbye? Um, let me think here if there's anything specific that I would <laughs> like to. Um, you know, one thing that I will say is just like every other museum, historical site, um, restaurant, any business in our community, we all know um, places have been hit very hard 
by our season not starting and the house not being open, river boats, the river boats that come to Cape Girardeau make up a large portion of revenue for the house. All of that will likely be off the table this year. So if you do have an interest um, and you're looking for a charitable donation, it costs us around $1,000 a month just to pay uh, the utility bills and the security systems and the things that keep the house operational from month to month. And that's without a single employee. So we are looking for monthly champions, folks that would be willing to help us cover parts of those costs during this pandemic time and so we can get the house back up and running again.